And once again, we caution you. These stories are definitely not for the timid soul. So we tell you calmly and very sincerely, if you frighten easily, turn off your radio now. Bo's Potato Podcast. I'm Tom Carnell. I am Heather Buckley. And I'm Langley West. And tonight, for our first show of 2017, we decided we were talking about the idea of films that were set at the new year. Right. Uh, I'm sure there's a bunch of other stuff we want to talk about. We had, uh, first of all, how was everyone's Christmas? Holidays, whatever you said. Heather, how was your holidays? I went home with. to you know the central jurors i hung out with the crazy family i watched killing of america with my father which was a special experience and steak land of which he liked both of them i liked his review yeah <laughs> yes yes <laughs> joseph everyone should send my father movies and he'll give you a four word very strong point of view on it. He's very much a thumbs up, thumbs down sort of guy. Though when we watched The Undertaker, he liked it. He did not like the film, but he. But it's always important to see a Joe Spinell film. Yeah, sure. So he un- so he understands that. But it was nice, and then I I came back. It was surprisingly nice, and then I came back to where I live in the in in Jersey City to relax because my job is on hold for a second because between sort of like the Christmas holidays and Hanukkah and the, uh, the end of the year, most of the managers and agents, they, yeah, they, off. Every, so I, shuts I down through, they shut down through December, early January. Right. Yep. But the party's over. Yeah. 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 How about As you? Correct. <laughs> um, I had a great, uh, Christmas, um, spent time with the family. um, I made out like a bandit. Sweet. Um, That's always good. No matter what, as adults get adulter, yeah. they, they always go like, oh, it doesn't matter what we get for Christmas. But that's a that's a lie. Yeah, it's a lie. Yeah. Uh, uh, fortunately, my new family understands that I don't want socks, Yeah, you know, as Christmas presents. Um, I want stuff that's fun. I want kids' presents. Sure. You know. Uh, so I got some uh, old Aurora model kits and... Uh, I got a bunch of good stuff. I got Jennifer a saber tooth tiger skull, which right. was great, and, and uh, yeah, it's, it was great. And then New Year's, we stayed in and 
watched movies and ate, and it was nice. Right on. I yeah, ours was really low key. We we hung out. Um, did we for Christmas we had at the Hawaiian barbecue? Yeah, <laughs> down the way, and uh, it was just the two of us, and we just kind of hung out. And um, of course, this was the year that we were all supposed to not to buy each other gifts. Right, this was the big thing because all my my kids are in their thirties and blah blah blah. Um, so of course I know as a husband that you you have to buy something. Right, you have to have something in, in your pocket just in case. Just young, in young case. man out there, listen, you always you always keep something in reserve. So. Uh, I did, and uh, as I suspected, uh, my wife ended up getting me an Xbox One, which was very cool. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, I was I was surprised at now suddenly I have to go out to Target and Best Buy to to buy games, right? And seeing the stuff that's out there and seeing the level of the um, the technology because it's been a while since you yeah it's been a while I had yeah. an old Xbox that I mostly watched Netflix on and, and Hulu and that kind of thing but, right um, now I'm back playing you know legitimate g- games I'm playing like Dying Light like right now which is like a parkour um, zombie game uh-huh. um, but I found a game a couple of games one's called Inside and it's it's wait um, do the zombies do parkour no they just chase you and you, oh, and okay. you do all this crazy stuff that but would there's be a, cool there's a, a bundle on on their marketplace now for a game called Inside and Limbo they're made by the same company and they're very very cool very little tiny side scroller puzzle games uh huh um, and I'm the last person that should be should be talking about this stuff um, but anyway, uh, and I also found something called Ori and the Blind Forest, which literally, even the gameplay looks like a Miyazaki film. Huh. And it feels like a Miyazaki film. So huh. I'm just amazed at how far that technology has come. Right. In just the last, what, year, year and a half. Yeah. Um, All my friends are really into the, the, the VR stuff right yeah, now. Yeah, the yeah, Virtual reality stuff, especially the 360 stuff. Yes. Um, and I can see where... I can see where it, it I, I I don't play video games, but I I I could see where it would enhance gameplay. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it, it get makes you more it's more immersive. You're in this world, things can be behind you, they can be above you. You can you know, you almost yeah, you, you have to have a have s- have swivel chair to, in order to deal with stuff, right? right. But uh, I was shown like an example of um, VR 360 filmmaking. And I hate it. Yeah, I hate it. I hate it. I think it doesn't. It does. It doesn't give you an, any indication of where you should be looking. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think I think as a, a as a filmmaker, one of the the film you know one of the, the the art of filmmaking is you making those decisions, yeah. right? You making you know you it's creating like, the frame. It's like it's like composing a picture or, or a painting. You know, and and you lose that with the VR stuff. I mean, literally, there was a conversation going on with these two monsters, demons. It was very cool. It was all stop motion, and it was very cool. But they were literally on either side of me, so I had to like turn, look that way, and look, and look that, that way. way, and then turn. Which is cool and... when you first do it. No, it sucks. <laughs> now, Heather, I'm I'm imagining you're not a gamer at all. I sometimes play Plants vs Zombies on my iPhone. <laughs> And then if I'm in an old arcade, Miss Pac-Man, yeah. but Super Mario Brothers 1984 is my game. Mm. Side scrollers. Oh, and when my computer Wi-Fi goes out, the little dinosaur game that you get on Chrome. I'm good at that. Okay. So there's this little dinosaur that comes out at the top and 
keeps you occupied while they work on your head. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and you yeah. jump over cactuses and little birds come by. That's my speed. That's yeah, my th- speed. Th- this thing, this dying light I'm playing, it's it's essentially you're in a s- dilapidated city and there's zombies everywhere and you're you're part of this underground resistance thing. But it's amazing the 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 breadth of it. It's mm-hmm. as big as a city and you're running around and you're doing your thing and it's really easy to go off. You know, there's there's one. It's like it's that open sandbox thing. It just, right. It just cuts you loose in a city and lets you just go. Have there's fun. been some stuff coming up that I'm I'm really intrigued by. I I I don't enjoy games. Period. Like <laughs> board games or card games or really any kind of game. Um, don't ask me why. I don't know. Um, but um, I ha- I'm really intrigued by that open sandbox Lovecraft thing yeah like I, it'd, it'd be cool just to walk around and run into whatever i i i'd probably be the most aggravating person you know because yeah. you know you got a team of people and they're like let's go we do this go there. and i'm like wait i'm looking at this rock. look at this store over here <laughs> these guys yeah yeah it's why i it's very difficult for me to play those open sandboxes because i just don't know what i'm supposed to do right so i i wander around <laughs> and i get lost and i fi- find myself in places i shouldn't be and but anyway the the the, the but the the way the length that they've come right is amazing um it's funny you know like people listening who play games are gonna be like what did they where have you guys been? I know. It's like... <laughs> I'm so old about this stuff. You should have seen me in the in the local videos game store. Uh, so what's a good one? You know, geez. And this guy was just like, "Well, what do you like to play?" I'm like, I don't like. I like to just. I like to be omnipotent. This is literally what I said to him. I want to know what's going to happen so I can just walk through there and like blast people. And he just kept looking at me like, "Yeah, okay." Um, uh, before we get started on the topic, I wanted to also talk about a bunch of people have died, and we're going to go through those really, really. Sure, quick. that's the running joke of the end of 2016, right? Is like how many people have died, and who who's going to go before you know the the clock chimes, right? And there was a there was a winner. That's someone. The, 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 there was a couple of people who I had never heard of, uh-huh. but the last name we heard of was William Christopher from Mash. Right. Yeah. Um, who again? But he's in his eighties, and it's I don't want to sound like that as a guy right. who's, who's getting a, up there himself. He was an old guy, and and it, you know we weren't seeing him, you know, in, in projects or, mm-hmm. or at least no, he I wasn't, wasn't doing much it, yeah. other than like. Uh, things for like tv land and wherever mash was playing they would right. he would probably go out and do and do meet and greets right, and right. stuff like that but father mulcahy mulcahy yeah. yeah he he was a guy who was i always thought it was weird that in the midst of all this it's almost like they felt compelled in mash which was what he was best known for um to include a christian character who 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 then became someone who they can talk about moral ambiguity through. Sure. Well, it, it, it was a, it was a good a good foil. I mean, an army life really is like that. You know, like you, you know, there is a there is always a, or a at least at least when I was in the army, um, there was always a chaplain. There was you know to mm-hmm. to deal with your spiritual crises crises yeah. but he was he was the last one that i heard of yeah and then going through these real quick and we, everyone else is eulogizing these people so i really don't want to go too too deep into it the biggie of course was carrie fisher and, De- and her mom debbie reynolds right um a day uh, apart a day apart to the whole that whole story is heartbreaking yeah um i will say that 
a lot of people are talking about Carrie Fisher in a lot of this and saying that how important she was, and I totally agree. But when you look into the life of Debbie Reynolds and the fact, like, for example, she was doing AIDS benefits years before the Reagans even yeah. admitted that it was a it was something. Yeah. Um, she If it wasn't for her, things like Dorothy's ruby slippers would have been lost because she was constantly... Well, she was known for taking wardrobe and taking props from films and right. buying them. right. And she just stored them in a warehouse someplace in like Central City. Unlike a lot of people that we talk about, um, where we we've met them or run across them or know somebody who knows them, and you know we come back and he's like, "Oh, Mickey Rooney, he was a dick," you know. Or, uh, Debbie Reynolds was really nice. She was a really, yeah. really nice lady. And or she at was least so, in in the limited scope of talking to her and having to escort her places. There's a documentary coming up on HBO about the two of them and their relationship. And it, it delves into the little bit of the history of her. And like, for example, the whole Eddie Fisher thing became right. a real like embarrassment for her and everyone felt for her. She was the right. scorned woman. And yeah. And sure enough, you know, and at the same time, I mean, while being really nice, she was also, you know, a spitfire, you know, she, there, yeah. you know, she had a lot of, a lot of moxie that lady did. Yeah. 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 Um, I imagine your dad was a fan. I would agree. Yeah. It seems like somebody that your dad would be into. I remember she had a casino in Las Vegas for a while. It didn't, it didn't last real long, but I want to say it was, it had something to do with the world wrestling federation or something. Debbie Reynolds in the world. Sure. I'd have to go back and read. Well, yeah, there's that famous scene in like fear and loathing in Las Vegas where they go to see Debbie Reynolds and they get thrown out. Um, but they're, they're huge. If you do yourself a favor, like look into both of them. Uh, I know Carrie Fisher has a new book out called the princess diarist. Uh, but Debbie Reynolds, man, just there like one of those people who's just there at the right place at the right time so much in hollywood history did you see did you see stephen fry's picture of the christmas presents she gave him no they're all great it's like this like a sign on the thing it looks like a come in we're open sign but it says come in we're cunts yeah you know stuff like that oh, just that's like great. Yeah, yeah that's great uh george michael died from uh wham yeah who who my, my wife is very affected by this and uh-huh. and um I, I was like, huh. Um, she's not around to give a few words? No, she's in the other room. Um, but, you know, it was one of those things where you can't deny him his place. And then, like most people, you only you remember the bad stuff, the the, 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 scandal. the scandals and whatever right. else. But now that he's gone, people are being a little more freer about stuff like he put Andrew Ridgely's name on Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go so that right. that guy would always have a revenue stream. Right, right, right. He was donating money. He was going out and seeing people and all this other stuff. Right. So, um, and then, uh, for me, it was a big one. Uh, Alphonse Moussan, who was the drummer for Weather Report, who was a jazz band. If you don't know who Weather Report is, you should. Right. But um, he died. And Joey Boots from Howard Stern. Th- there's no surprise there. If you know anything about Joey Boots, there's no surprise there. And then Pan Pan the Panda. In China, died thirty-one years old. Thirty-one. A is panda. that now, is that old for a panda? Do we know? I imagine. <laughs> <laughs> I just re- I just was reading up on stuff, and it was like they were they seemed very very impressed by that. Um, but yeah, a lot of people, and you know, twenty sixteen. All in all, I'm, it's a year I'm happy to see go. That's 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 the you know the 
the new year always brings that kind of stuff around, right? It's like you look back over the year, who's not with us anymore? Mm-hmm. And you get in a lot of times you're surprised because someone so died back in January. Yeah. And you forgot, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because really I was easy. looking at the, you know, I forgot Muhammad Ali had died. I'd forgotten yeah. that, you know, a, a lot of people <clears throat> over the course of the last year. But didn't Jeffrey Lewis die this year? I was always wondering with different mm-hmm. generations is that does somebody get to a certain age range sort of our icons well, and that a, generation goes. I think as we yeah. as we age, our contemporaries age along with us. And we we therefore it's natural that as we get older as our contemporaries are going to die off. Right. Even if it's from something natural, quote unquote natural like heart disease or and in or, this case we, you know you're dealing with the largest generation uh-huh. that we've had you know in the, in the and the most boomers the, and, and the most um in touch because of the internet right. and everything else it's right. like people there's more celebrity to go around and right so therefore it's more but i think it's it's it marks people's place in time the deaths of celebrities just sure. like just like you know all life events, and you know where were you when when you know you heard that John Lennon died, for example? Right. I see it. I hoping that there would be a transformative effect. Yeah, yeah. And as yeah. we look, as we 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 look into the graveyard, we realize it's a mirror. Absolutely, absolutely. And it reminds us that that you know you know not that not to, the platitude of there, but for the grace of God go I. Right. It's very much the the case. You know, you hear stories of. uh, I became so heartbroken about Carrie Fisher, and I appreciate Star Wars from sort of like the VFX, FX point of view, but the movies aren't my entire life, like a lot of my uh, friends. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that I... represents so many people's heart, heart heartthrob, their icon, their princess... Yeah, that, role model, and just to see her picture over, I just didn't. I just did not go on the internet that day because it was so sad. Because I know how much she meant to so many people, and I think her her face and that outfit, and she carries that with her. Well, but out know, of all actresses, she, the the immortality that she will reach through playing Princess Leia. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, it's uh, uh, that's all important because that's fandom. I think people, you know, we we adore her and da 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 da. But I think what's really important about her and Leia is that. She she was a she fought back. She right. she was someone who wasn't willing to play that the you know the the, the, the damsel in distress. The damsel in yeah. distress. Kevin Smith was talking about on Smodcast about how how she was important because she was he called it the link to the other the idea that you couldn't play Star Wars without a girl and now suddenly you had to. You had to recruit girls into your play, right. which used to be just guys. You know, right. it was just always, you know, we're these, this band of heroes or that band right. of heroes. She's so much an important part of the story that if you're a kid and you're playing that, yeah, you need she someone. has to be there. Yeah. So I think as a, uh, it's almost trite to call her a feminist icon, but as, as someone who changed the, that part of the game for little girls growing up, sure. I think it's huge. Um, uh, and her work after the movies. Oh, and then her work sort of normalizing the mental illness. Right. And, and a lot of other stuff. Yeah, I agree. I think that it is it is one of those, all of those things that nostalgia sort of weaves together. But it's also something more than that. Um, 
Um, and we ha and she was here the entire time. And you know, you heard about her doing conventions and this kind of stuff. And it was yeah, it's Carrie Fisher. She's talking about Star Wars. But then you, I don't know. It's like we don't know what we have right until it's until it's taken from us. It's sure. Kind of weird. And it's weird for me to be talking about Princess Leia and Carrie Fisher in that regard. Right, because you're not a Star Wars. I'm not a Star Wars fan, fan yeah, at all. Yeah. Um, but I do. But I can see the 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 impact. And after that, after Princess Leia, you know, you that's when you get Ripley. That's when you get right. You know, female or uh, empowered. I mean, even even female. when she played John Belushi's girlfriend in yeah. the Blues Brothers, yeah, she's a badass. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and, I, and it's really great when you see interviews over with her on on YouTube. She's just right. Look, I've been there. I've done all this. There's, I know exactly what what's going on. She mm -hmm. gets a little jaded, but very cool. So anyway, that's all that. Um, on to our topic. Again, film set at um, the New Year's. Uh, bef before we started recording, you had said something about. You know, we brought up the Poseidon Adventure, which is sort of the quintessential New Year's, right? Um, or a film set at New Year's. Um, I never saw the remake. I I didn't either. I didn't want to. Kurt Russell <clears throat> was in it, and a couple what? other really cool, cool people. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I I I'll check it out eventually. No, I won't. Um, mm -hmm. I I remember the Poseidon Adventure having a big impact on me as a kid. And I and I don't know if it was because of the spectacle of an Irwin Allen disaster. In I, one one thing in particular, as a small kid, this this really struck a chord with me was the scene where Gene Hackman, who's a, a priest or a minister, I can't remember, he's a preacher yeah. of some kind, um, is having a conversation with a guy on the deck, and he's talking about. I, I think the guy was questioning his faith or something, and he was talking about like you know, sure. If you're stuck in the, if you're stuck in a blizzard, pray. He said, but don't just get on your knees and pray because you're just going to freeze to death. Right. Praying, you got to, you, you have to do something. You know, you have to, you, you have to be a man of action. I thought that was important because even as a little kid, I always thought, well, if you just believe and pray, but I still see bad things happening to people and. Yeah. You know, it just seemed it, it was it was the first time that I had seen that lesson being told to me uh, through a movie or a book or something. It's like you got to yeah. do shit. You can't just sit around and mm -hmm. wait for stuff to happen. God, I remember seeing Poseidon Adventure in the movie theater. Yeah, and um, it was a big deal. It was like all those things at the time, all those Irwin Allen disaster films. They were all big. They were they were the big tentpole films of the time, right? Yeah. Like it was like the big spectacle to see earthquake, earthquake, yeah, and sense around, <clears throat> yeah, yeah. It was all that stuff, towering inferno, yeah. and, and all that. Stuff. And that shot, that shot of the ship out in the ocean and that big ass wall of water just tipping it over, just yeah. coming in, like all of it, even for the day, the. The tipping of the boat was handled really, really well. Yeah, um, yeah. great gets, stunts. I saw the, the a clip from the new one, and it's you know it's a, it's what you'd expect. Everything's bigger, every but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's better. Right. Um, the uh, and the and and the song. Yes, it had that iconic uh, song. Oh, uh, what is it? One Tin Soldier. No, no, that's that's Billy Jack. Billy Jack. 
There's got to be a morning after. That's right. That's right. There's got to be yeah. a morning and, after. And it was weird. It was all wedged in. Um, if you haven't seen it, uh, Poseidon Adventure, uh, luxury liner gets what hit by a... 75, something like that. Um, hold on. Keep talking. Uh, 72. 72. So, uh, luxury liner, like the Queen, not quite as big as the Queen Mary, but pretty darn big, yeah. um, gets hit by a tsunami tidal wave. Giant tidal wave. And it's it side, hit from the side, so it completely yeah, flips, flips it over. It. It's upside down. So now, instead of having to go to the deck, they have to go to the to the upper deck. They have to go to the hull mm-hmm. in the hopes that to get out. Yeah. Um, but it has some great performances, like Shelley Winters. Shelley Winters is fantastic. Yeah. Playing about the only role that she could play at that point in her life, you yeah. know, the, the doddering old old person. But you're right; it was like Carol who, Lindley was who, in it, who was a uh, her character had been a like a, a an Olympic swimmer or swimmer, something yeah. way back in her youth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's oh my god when you know spoiler when whenever when whatever happens to Shelley Winters happens to Shelley Winters. Yeah, it's so sad. It's sad. It's horribly sad. Um, but it had like you know Carol Lindley was in it. I want to I, I want to say uh, Ernest Borgnine, um, Stella Stevens, Red Stella Stevens, Red Buttons, Red Buttons was in it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Heather's being awfully quiet. In this. <laughs> Heather's like I don't know. I've never, I've never watched this film. I, to me, I'm I was trying to daydream. It's like where do I place these films playing? Was it on TBS or Channel Eleven when I was like seven? I remember maybe seeing like ads of it and like a black and white TV guide. Like I know these movies were on the television. Absolutely. I've yeah. never wa- I've never watched Poseidon Adventure, Towering, none of them. Unless what? it's Godzilla destroying everything. <laughs> no need for natural disasters oh, or faulty oh. ships. Okay, so here's the secret, okay? Pat. You watch Poseidon Adventure. I'm not saying I wouldn't. I'm just saying this is probably why I've never crossed paths with it. I don't believe we ever find out what caused the giant wave in the Pacific. Oh, no. No. So, there you go, Heather. Godzilla made this giant tidal wave. He was doing that. So, I should look at it as people look at 10 Cloverfield Lane. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It was, it was Godzilla out doing that thing and you doing a pool where you bounce up and down yes, and it makes exactly. all the waves. Absolutely. Um, he was teaching Son of Godzilla to play in the water. <laughs> and, you, and your name and actors that I've heard is like, yes, Shelley Winters, yes, Ernest Borgnine. <laughs> I know they were cast of thousands films. Yeah, they <laughs> usually were. They usually had a, a huge cast and and multiple storylines that all sort of wove together at the end. Those those films always had like on the poster, like they had like you know a, a you know big ass painting of whatever disaster was happening, and then across the bottom there was like headshots, yeah, do, 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 like twenty of them across. <laughs> yep, and it was like the it was like an episode of the Love Boat. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it was like look, it's got to be quality. Look at all the guys that we look, got. George in. Kennedy's in yeah, this. Yeah. It's like a mad, mad, mad world, but yes. mel- melodrama and action. Yeah, and it was big action. It was like, and it was stuff that like you didn't even know, like Towering Inferno. You didn't at the time that it came out. You didn't even know you needed to be afraid of fires and eyes uh, right. right. And it was like it was like Jaws with sharks. People suddenly just went, "Oh yeah, that could <laughs> happen!" Earthquake, right? Yeah, That's another one. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. 
Earthquake. Not any of these. But the thing of it is about Poseidon Adventure is, is like yeah. when the wave hits, they're literally singing "Old Lang Syne." Yes. Yep. And so you know, um, there's a great stunt in the Poseidon Adventure. It's the one that I always think of. It's it, 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 you know above. They're in this big ballroom. I bet you I know what it is. You know what it is. Yeah, go ahead. And there's this giant glass yeah. ceiling. There's know, like a the, mosaic, almost like stained glass ceiling to the ballroom. Which is now upside down. So it's now like 20 feet below you. And yeah. there's this great shot of this guy that falls. Yeah. And he's just like, what? It's like the Smith. Hans Gruber fall in Die Hard. Yes. Except he lands on glass. glass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Our... It's, our Maybe we should track our falls in new in uh, oh New gosh. Year's films. Yeah. Maybe they represent the ball in Times Square. <laughs> well, in that case, I'm, definitely, I'm I'm going to table Sharky's machine as a. <laughs> Have you ever seen there's a there's a drop in Sharky's machine where a guy goes out a window backwards. I, I think that's the first time they used that that cable rig. Uh, he falls for Dever. Yeah, forever, <laughs> forever, and it's not a green screen. It's not a special effect. Yeah, they. In I fact, mean, if you go out on effect. YouTube, there's a video of the guy who literally is standing there, holding onto rails, running backwards. He's holding onto rails so he he stays on target. Right. Um. And he's running backwards, and he goes right through the glass. It's like it's almost like they just go. I don't know. Just go ahead and do it, <laughs> and he does. What's that? That was that That's famous stuntman. stuntman. I remember. I can't yeah. remember. His yeah, name, he was uh, his famous stuntman. Yeah. I forget his name as well. But he did. He did a lot of that stuff. There's another one. I'm trying to remember the movie where the guy's on. Kind of like that, but he's on fire. So. Oh my God! Can we do like an episode where we just do like famous film falls, like sure. people falling think, in yeah. good movies? There's Maybe when the autumn solstice is among us. <laughs> um, so and getting um, um, Howard S. Berger, he could probably talk about his dummy deaths. If you know the historian. Oh my God! I, oh man, I'd love to. I'd love, to, man. I, I, he has looked at some dummy deaths I, in his day. You know, you're talking about dummy deaths. It makes me think of um, the Deadly Spawn. <laughs> there's, I, knew, I knew we would somehow find this, our way. There's, so the lady gets chomped on by the thing, right? And and she goes flying out this window, like this the second story window of the house, and crashes. And I remember in Cinemagic, like Ken Brilliant and Don Dohler and, and uh, uh, John Dodds, um, they did this article about how they. I think it was just Ken Brilliant, or uh, not Ken Brilliant. Um, oh, the other guy. Anyway, another guy from that 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 group um, did this article, and it was like it was it was so awesome because it's like they made an armature out of like a broom handle that they cut up, and uh, they made some ball and socket joints out of like these little wooden, almost like croquet balls or something, <laughs> and it was great. It was like this full-scale stop-motion armature that you could pose into different positions literally made out of like broom handles and then they you know they throw clothes on it and uh their hands they made just these latex hands with wires in them so they it was so cool i love that (laughs) shit man they you know they ran along and threw the dummy out the window sure the, you know the one of the takes it doesn't you know it you know it's a good thing they got it because like after two takes it's all it's Smashed falling up. apart sure sure back when filmmaking was filmmaking god damn it <laughs> um 
So I'm trying to think of... I'm trying to first stick to genre titles. Right. Um, and one of the ones that comes up is things like Strange Days, the Ray Fiennes movie and Angela Bassett sci-fi movie. The, there, it's a big deal. The, I mean, some of these that I'm on this list that I pulled together, it was a lot of them were on multiple lists, but it was just like collaterally New, sure. New Year's. It's like me making the argument that Brazil is a Christmas movie. Sure. Right. <laughs> sure. But but like Strange Days definitely happens at there's a the big culmination as I recall is is New Year's Eve. It's rare. the changing of the year. Because the changing of the year is so symbolic in so right. many different ways. And and that's what I was wondering is how many of these films use that as kind of their their subtext you know it's like you know the poseidon adventure is really um it's really obvious right you know it's like it's the end and now we're we in order to live we have to kind of there has to be this rebirth we have to like go through this painful experience Mm -hmm. so that we can survive and go on there's a there's a there's an ending and a beginning it's the beginning of a new dawn you know right the morning after sure and uh I wonder how many. But it seems like that that would be like you, you would be remiss as a filmmaker if you're making a New Year's film or a film that's happening around New Year's and that isn't somewhere in there. Yeah, agreed. As some sort of the subtext, but also I think with like the back to the Poseidon Venture, it's a it's an excuse for people to be in a room, you know, on right. to be on the boat in the first place, right? And da 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 da. Uh, Rosemary's Baby came up. There was a there was a scene in, that has to do with that. Um, I, I don't know that... There's a movie about new beginnings. Yeah, right? <laughs> the right way to do it. The right way to do it. That's right. Yeah, the idea that... I, you know, that's, that's pretty much, you know, because th- that's how we, I think, as people look at the new year as new beginnings. It's the end of one era. It's the begin- dawn right. of another chapter. But, that, but Rosemary's Baby is about new beginnings, but also goals, because it's the Antichrist. Right. Right. Yeah, everybody's making their New Year's <laughs> resolutions. You got right? to it first. Absolutely. Or as the seven-year-old at the house says, I want to talk about my New Year's revolutions. Yes. And I'm yeah. like, yes, you're going to take gonna be some of those Paraguay. Yeah. We should be talking about New Year's revolutions, yes. We need one. <laughs> I think, I think you're... That child is correct. It's <laughs> yeah, early yet. That's true. Um, but again, it's it's... Plus, I always appreciated the the silliness of this group of people sitting around in paper hats. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And in the midst of all of this stuff that they're trying to do, they're still <laughs> wearing yeah. the paper hat. I think it's not a party without a princess hat with glitter on it. I know, right? Unisex, by the way. That's true. It takes a real man to wear a princess hat. Well, it takes a real man to be a princess. I agree. I sure. agree. I put and them it, on boys, and that's it, for, their, for their birthdays and for New Year. Carrie Fisher was a real man. What's that? No, nothing. <laughs> Carrie Fisher. Blaspheming on this Bla- podcast. I know, right? Yeah. It's no, like, I. You know. I can feel. The I think it takes just like I think it takes a, a the reverse of that. It takes a hell of a woman to be a prince. Right. You know. I'm a sir. God damn it. God damn it. She's all knife a fucker in the neck. Um, like Heather, do this. Heather's like, suck my dick. <laughs> That's a hundred percent what I would say. Yeah, 
I know. <laughs> um, Terror Train also, I guess, obliquely happens on New Year's. I'm going to keep it? coming back to this. Wait, we, we, can keep, we can keep spinning off and I'll bring us right back. Yeah, it happened. I guess it's uh, they're on a trip and it happens on the... I did not see Strange Days. Was it was it good? Yeah, yeah. It's very cyber. It's very it's very sort of low end Philip K. Dick. Okay, yeah. That's probably why I didn't. It's see like it. I... it and it and a movie like Free Jack have a lot. Oh wow! <laughs> a lot, okay. and it's not good. Yeah, it's not particularly yeah, it's not good. good. I actually remember Free Jack more than I do. Yeah, Emilio Estevez, Mick Jagger. Yeah. I just I just remember getting the pin from the Fangoria convention and seeing it in the theater because anything Fango covered I would see. Yeah, I just remember making oh a a multitude of jokes on the word free jack. <laughs> oh, it's brilliant! Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, what was the movie? Straight fourteen and laugh at these jokes about free jack. I know. Oh, dude. And it wasn't even, it was more like tittering than anything else. <laughs> um, Strange Days, I will say this, and and I know how this is going to sound, but Angela Bassett looks great. Oh, okay. She's got these big arms. She's got her Tina Turner arms still. Sure. And and this, like, dreadlocks and or, like, braids and stuff. And she's, she's, a, she's amazing looking. And a badass. So there's that. <laughs> if nothing else, she can go and ogle Angela Bassett. <laughs> Um, another name. Another name. I'm going to throw out there: Sunset Boulevard. Again, obliquely, but it's a it's a reason to bring up Sunset Boulevard. Sure, and any reason to bring up Sunset Boulevard is a good reason. I've seen that recently in my life. Have you in the railway on Blu-ray on a flat screen? Yeah. Brilliant film. It's so good. It's, it's so, so good. She's she's so good. Yeah, she is amazing. And it, and, and and now that you say that, yeah, the rest. Of it is kind of pedestrian, but man, she fucking burns up the screen in yeah, that movie. Yeah, that She's, final scene is one of the oh, saddest and creepiest things. The whole like the also the introduction when he goes in and yeah. she's talking about the dead monkey. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's beautifully Perry. Well, she well she's able to be incredibly engaging and incredibly broad at the same time, and I think that's very difficult to do. Yeah, there was. It's it's literally old school silent film acting on writ writ on a you know on a different you know sort of on a different stage where yes. now it just seems big and broad and 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 over the top and um God you know brilliantly this movie was parodied and I'm I'm sure I'm not breaking anyone's um a, a new piece of information but Carol Burnett used to routinely parody yeah, this and, and yes. she was actually. Oh my god! So funny, so funny. In fact, I had seen the the Carol Burnett parody first, so when I saw Sunset <laughs> Boulevard, it was like, oh yeah, she totally nailed it. Um, god, I miss the Carol Burnett show. Man, how is it that I was just reading somewhere that Carol Burnett has never been asked to host SNL? Doesn't that's, that seem weird? That's nuts. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. It, oh my yeah. god. Don't even get me started. I could go off on a whole thing about the Carol Burnett show. Man. Just Tim this... Conway and um, Harvey Corman alone. Um, yeah. There's just bits. If you look those two guys up on YouTube, there's just hours of some of how the much, best physical comedy how I've much, ever seen. 
how like I loved watching Carol Burnett show, hoping and hoping that they were going to crack each other up that episode. Like yeah. that was that was the best part. Yeah. It's, like, it's kind of like when they you know, everyone talks about on SNL when someone an actor will start laughing. But right. these are people who they've got to get through this stuff. Yes, and um, a lot of it was improvised. Um, uh, Man, that that elephant story. The elephant story is great. Is the great. the Gone with the Wind parody where she it's makes good. the dress out of the curtains. <laughs> anyway, yeah, it's great stuff. <laughs> um, what else? <laughs> Godfather Two was there was a there was a moment I when I when I I think it's when Mike Michael discovers that Fredo has betrayed him and and lets him know the like, famous kiss. Yeah, I think that's at the New Year's party. Mm. Um, which we we we've already talked about our love for the Godfather, right? right. Uh, That's one I've seen. Yes, <laughs> but again, um, oh, the original Ocean's Eleven, the the night that they were going to rob the casino was oh New Year's. Um, with uh, Frank Sinatra with and Sinatra, Sammy Davis yeah, yeah. Jr. and yeah, yeah, that's a cool movie. Man. It's a great movie. I haven't seen that movie. All in a of those long movies time. are great, and in. And when you hear the story, I'm sure I've rela- I related this before, but when you hear the stories about how they would be filming all, like, from noon until about 7 or 8 at night. Right. So they, they uh, this, uh, Ocean's Eleven and Robin and the Seven Hoods. So they, they'd film until about 7 or 8 at night. They'd all go out. They'd go eat. And then they had a standing room, I think it was at the Sands, mm-hmm. that it was just a stage and a band. And they would go out there and they would... The band was hired specifically through Sinatra and Dean Martin's connections, so right. that they so that they could say "Melancholy Baby" and boom, the band would be right on it. They would know the key, they would know everything, right? Um, and they would just come out and they do these things they used to call dinner cart shows yeah. or, or drink cart drinking cart shows, where it was literally a cart brought out and they would be mixing drinks and just getting hammered until one or two in the morning. Yeah. And then they'd go to sleep. That's it, for, right for filmmakers listen, listening. Can you imagine? Like, just shooting a feature film from, like, noon to seven. Yeah. That's... And, and it wasn't even like, well, we'll discuss that. No. It's like, no, Frank's leaving. And there's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because now, you know, you work, God, you know, 14 hours at, at, at the least. At the least. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, then, but then you get these recordings of these drinking cart shows where it's just them fucking around and the audience is loving it um horrifically racist to sammy davis um but uh you know he's that's that's his that's his role in the rat pack and and it was the early you know it it was in the 60s i saw an episode of uh laughing the other night Mm -hmm. um one of these retro tv cable tv channels and uh i hadn't seen laughing literally since it had been on so I was quite young when, when Laugh-In was on originally. Rowan and Martin's Laugh-In. Sammy Davis Jr. was the guest on there. I did not remember it being so, um, one, dumb. Yeah. And two, uh, so rapid fire. I mean, it was like, mm-hmm. it, it was like, you know, a, a, a you know, 10 second skit and then another 20 second skit. And it was just like, bam, 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 bam. It was like overload. It was like, I don't remember this at all. I remember. I don't. Right, I mean, I remember Goldie Hawn, and I remember yeah. all in the Wall, and all of that stuff. But I don't remember this. Just kind of, just they're they're literally taking balls 
and throwing them at you. Bam, bam, bam. Sammy Davis Jr. was doing some really silly stuff. It was it was it was on the level of like step and fetch it kind of a thing. Yeah. It, it was on the on the level of there was uh, a lot of here come to judge. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But the, but at the time, I mean, he kind of had to do that. Yeah. In the I don't fault I don't fault um, Sammy for for doing oh, God, a lot no. of that stuff. Uh, but um, there was a point where Sammy went, all right. <laughs> all right enough of that shit and um but again man just being in that room yeah you know careers were made yeah looks preeminently steve lawrence and Edie gourmet yeah they were just periphery people and they were still on mike douglas all the time and Merv mm-hmm. griffin and whatever else wow we're going far afield all over the place um they would pop up on uh the carol burnett show yeah yeah and I stand by Steve Lawrence being a great singer. He's he's a great crooner. Yeah. Um, if you want to hear something really weird, go on YouTube, type in Steve Lawrence and Edie Gourmet, Black Hole Sun. <laughs> and it's it's kind of one of those Richard Cheese versions of sure. Black Hole Suns, but it's a duet between the two of them. And I'll tell you what, it's really good. I'll check it out. It's super good. Heather, you'll check it out? I can't tell you how much I hate the song Black Hole Sun <laughs> and that much like Brown Eyed Girl, I never want to hear it for the rest of my life. I was so waiting it for her brought to go. Up on this podcast. I was waiting so it's for inescapable. You, I was waiting for you to go, Do you know how much I hate Steve Lawrence? <laughs> <laughs> and instead it was Black Hole Sun. She's uh, like, I'd punch Edie Gourmet in the mouth. Did you ever see this is so far afield, but there was a great thing SNL did called the called the Sinatra group, where it was like the McLaughlin group, right? And um, Sting was on as Billy Idol, and and um, uh, someone else was on as Sinead uh, O'Connor. Anyway, there was this Steve Lawrence and Edie Gourmet were on there, and he and for Sinatra makes Steve Lawrence fight Billy Idol, <laughs> and it's fucking hilarious. Phil Hartman playing uh, Sinatra, Sinatra, yeah, yeah. yeah. To, and at that, this is so dumb. But they, there's a line in there that somebody said. Billy Idol says something to Sinatra, and Sinatra says, "I got chunks of guys like you in my stools." <laughs> <laughs> so funny. Um, Snowpiercer, was I guess I'm a fan. Yeah, I've seen that one. Yeah, I'm not. I uh, it took the false to you. <laughs> I like the fight scenes. Sure. Yeah. Little derivative, little old boy. Yeah. But still, anytime two guys have axes in their hands, I'm down. Yeah. Yeah. We talked I just, about this. I hate the premise. I just, we talked I, about this oddly enough about a year ago. Did we? Yeah. Because <laughs> I had just seen it about a year ago. It was on the on on the 366. Um, well, that the uh, that the. Uh, proletariat is in the uh, in the pocket of the elite to create this uh, this sort of uh, class struggle, eternal class struggle which takes place on a train. Yeah, I know. I just had a problem with stopping for sushi in the middle of a revolution. <laughs> I just had a problem with the idea that the world is frozen and everybody lives on a train. Yeah. That... But once you, once you swallow that <laughs> <laughs> you know it's like anything. It's like when, if you're in for the in for a penny, in for a pound, right? You're, you know, you sign on and you go. Here's a story about blah 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 blah, but it takes place on a train. <laughs> you go, all right, all right, sure. Um, 
I assume they took it as a metaphor, which is much stronger than something like High Rise. I didn't see High Rise. As a Ballard fan, I saw High Rise. That's the the Tom Hiddleston thing, yes? Correct. Yeah. Um, Let's throw up four rooms. Yeah. That happens. There we go. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. This is is more... More... Yeah, this is more... I love four rooms. I I really love... Aspects, portions of four rooms. Oh my god, the uh, the Robert Rodriguez one is hilarious. Tim the, Roth is great. Tim Roth is great throughout it. I, I really didn't like the the witches one. Yeah, and the the I like the first one, the the Robert Rodriguez one. The last one because it when it when the ending comes, it happens so suddenly that you almost miss it. Yes. Um, but, but and it's know. great, and the last one is great because whether you're a Tarantino fan or not, if you're a film fan, mm-hmm. you'll like the last one. Oh, it's because, such tight dialogue yeah, in, that, in that. It's great. Yeah, yeah. Um, I feel like they have been too busy watching like the Suicide Kings to watch Four Rooms. Yeah. Oh, you should you should watch it, Heather. It's really. Have you good. not seen Four Rooms? No, I haven't. I know I I oh, knew that it existed. You absolutely During that time period, I was watching something else. I would say see it primarily for Tim Roth. I'm a fan. Um, and also see it because it's a uh, it's it's an anthology film essentially, and it's it's fun because they they give the stories enough time to play out, and they're all unique. Um, Tim Roth is the connecting. Is yeah. the, the connector to all the stories. He's a the bellboy, right? Yeah, he's yes. a bellboy that's been left in charge of this hotel on New Year's Eve. Yeah, and there's even weird, oblique nods in it to stuff like Jerry Lewis is the bellboy, right. and and you know it's very like his Tim Roth specifically is very, very broad and very sort of you know sort of, almost Jacques Tati kind yeah. of kind of overacting. Uh, I lo- I love his broadness in Hateful Eight. Oh, but yeah. I, when I watch Hateful Eight, I think that he's being Peter Sellers. <laughs> that's so funny. Just when he goes like rock steady, rock steady, it's like that's from Strange Love. <laughs> yeah, that's really funny. Yeah, I uh, we were just talking about this. Uh, I don't know if it was on the last pack, podca- last podcast or just a, around here, but um, Tim Roth in in Planet of the Apes is so good. He's he's so good. That uh, I've not it, seen Tim Roth. Did you ever see Rob Roy? Yeah. Oh. Yes. Yeah. Of course I, you did. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, I, oh, I've not seen Tim Roth do something bad. I, I've seen him in films. Bad that movies. That great. Yeah. yeah. He directed something. I forget what the name of it was. That, that it's on my in my queue. I he's uh, he's he's a there's a TV show. Lie to me. Lie to me. Yeah. Um, it started out really really well, and then like most TV shows, it, right. it petered out. My wife used to watch it. His character kind of reminds me of House. Yeah. In that yeah, he's, yeah. he's kind of a dick, house. but yeah. but he's good at what he does. Yeah. Well, it's, it's all of those shows. Whenever you see a show, like he's a, he's a he's a he's a blood analyst. That da 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 da. Right. Never fit, da, da, da. I want to say in the real world, well, most dicks are dicks. Well, but what I'm saying is, is you have you you have in these series, you have highly functioning individuals that are socially inept, and you're essentially all of our heroes are have Aspergers. Right. You know, House, definitely. Right. Sherlock. Sherlock, absolutely. Right. <laughs> yeah, and when you look at it, there that's what that's the thing that, that allows them to be so brilliant. And mm-hmm. 
but it comes at a at a cost. Um, right, their personal life. And when Hannibal Lecter comes at a cost, his brilliance. What's that, Hannibal Lecter? Yes. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You know, again, in, in Manhunter, there's a whole conversation where it's like, you know, you you get the impression like, had he not almost wanted to be caught, Will Graham wouldn't have caught him. Right. So it was his his almost not an infatuation with Graham, but anyway, we're way off target now. Um, Speaking of way off topic, did you see the uh, did you see the thing I, I put up on online about Cookie Monster presented with the yeah. plates of cookies? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I we were just talking at work the other day, speaking of the Cookie Monster about Ernie Fosselius and about Star Wars and about Carrie right, Fisher. Right. And Ernie Fosselius did a film called Hardware Wars. Hardware Wars, yeah. Um, that has a Wookiee monster that it looks is essentially just the Cookie Monster, but he's yeah. a Wookiee. If you monster. haven't seen those, all of those are any Fossilius films. Um, Pork Lips Now, yes, Close Encounters of the Nerd Kind, um, Hardware Wars. I saw Hardware Wars on uh, Night Flight. Mm. Oh yeah, yeah. He used to be on Bob's show all the time. All the time. And they were like, here's the new film by Ernie Fosselius. And, um, <laughs> Pork Clips Now is fucking hilarious, but it never gets any, the same sort of action that Hardware Wars does. Right. Um, it's essentially... This podcast is about to change that. Yeah, right? That's right. Oh, it's well worth seeing. It's about, instead of it being about um, Willard going upriver to find Kurtz, um, this is Dullard going up into Chinatown <laughs> to find a rogue butcher named Fred Mertz. And um, I'm sorry. There's a moment where they're convincing him to go kill him. And they're like, we want you to go up into Chinatown, find Mertz. And, you know, and he's like, no, I don't know what you're saying. And this long protracted, almost like who's on first scene of anyway. Fucking hilarious. <laughs> Ghostbusters 2. <laughs> Ghostbusters 2 takes place, I guess, obliquely at, at um, New Year's. New Year's? I don't think it's on TV during uh, New Year's Eve. Yeah. The end of it. Um, I remember the ectoplasmic river uh, under the city. That was the first one, right? No, that's the second one. Second one. one. I'm that's... a fan of Ghostbusters 2. The people say it's a, it's, a, it's a character defect I have. You know I what? Know. I stand by... Be- I stand by uh, Peter McNichol's performance. He's he's great in Ghostbusters too. Hmm. Um, yes, uh, that and the dude who played Vigo, who didn't do anything. That guy was like, he just that was a face. Yeah, he just man that painting. I, how how awesome would it be to own that painting? Who did, I read somewhere recently that somewhere somebody there, yeah, it. someone has it. <laughs> I don't doubt it. Absolutely. That's a beautiful painting. I did see something hilarious. You know, you see funny things. It's a sheet music, and it's a song called They Hate That by Peter Venkman, and it's just two little notes really, really up high. <laughs> and it goes for, like, maybe eight bars. It's fucking hilarious. From the first film, when he, when he gets in and plays her piano? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But they've transcribed it <laughs> into sheet music. It's fucking hilarious. <laughs> the internet is so fucking funny, man. It's so clever. Um, assault on Precinct Thirteen happens at New Year's. Um, I don't, I, I don't remember it being part of the like. Yeah, it wasn't like, hey, uh, <laughs> it just sort of happens that right. that it that it was that it was. Uh, I, Is it time to bring up the controversial subject of Die Hard? 
Um, yeah, we we can. It's it's more. I don't think it's more of a New Year's thing, but it's more of a Christmas thing. But I absolutely when agree. We're, when we're looking at, it just, it's just applicable. Like what Langley was saying about um, Assault on Precinct Thirteen. It's like I feel like there there are New Year's movies, movies that take place on New Year's, and movies that take place on Christmas, mm-hmm. but that not necessarily make them a New Year's or Christmas movie. Agreed. I'm and some of these that I'm naming are are purely because there's so few. You know, and about. they I think they I think that some of them become a New Year's or Christmas movie. Because it's true because while I was over at my friend's house, Ghostbusters 2 was playing. Mm-hmm. So that right. became a New Year's Eve movie. Mm. Yeah, somebody's yeah. paying attention. Somebody yeah. <laughs> I I saw this whole thing on line about the this debate on Die Hard being a Christmas movie. And I, can, right. I don't see how you argue it's not. I argue it's not because it's not about uh, it's not about Christmas. Of course it is. It's about redemption. It's about family. It's about guns. <laughs> <laughs> it's about... Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas is about Christmas. It's about Euro trash. By the and... way, did you get to see Emmett Otter's I got to see Emmett Otter, well, Emmett Otterton when I saw Zootopia. I was wondering if that was a wow, an aim in that direction, which is a good film, Zootopia. I want, as see, I want to see the guy at the ticket booth's counter when Heather walks up and says, Ticket to Utopia, please, or Zootopia, please. Did you see the badass? I watched it on the Netflix, so oh, it was okay. in the privacy, but I but I announced it on Facebook. Oh, uh. Did you see the You're badass so brave. Uh, uh, <laughs> likeness of Heather on the cover of uh, that book that just came out? Did you see it's that? It's going to come out this year, yes. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a self-published book by um, by uh, a, a guy that I know, um, Ryan. He, m- months ago, said that he's very the character that he's writing was very inspired by me. Yeah. And, and I don't... And he asked if he could use my likeness, and I said, "Go ahead, write a character that's like me." <laughs> and the speed is my badass. It's spot on, Heather. It's right that's on. what I look. There's a that's it's based on that's based on a picture of me in a graveyard. Yeah. And I have my arms crossed like that, wearing the vest. That's based on an image of me. That's awesome. Yeah, go to her. Go to her. Her page and I scroll will. back a little. You see it. It's badass. Um, but I think you know. Um, I don't know. I think, I think there's enough there that it it certainly. Uh, I mean, the music, the redemption of of uh, Mur- or, not Murtaugh, <laughs> <laughs> of uh, Reginald Johnson. Um, yeah, I yeah, it's one of our Christmas movies. Yeah, that and Long Kiss Goodnight. <laughs> No, my wife loves that movie, and it's and it it's I don't it's uh it's very much a Christmas movie. Long Kiss Goodnight. It's all set right around Christmas, and it's it's all part of it. Doesn't doesn't end up that way. It ends up pretty non-Christmas actually, but that initial rollout is pretty Christmassy. Right. Eyes wide shut. Damn Christmassy. I think it's brave when you put a a bleak film set around Christmas. L is the same way. Yeah. Oh, I, I agree. I because I, I don't think everyone is happy during Christmas. Oh and, God, no. And, and I think it's easy to. Uh, um, God, I almost want to say that uh, Sunset Limited was set around the holidays. I don't know, but uh, anyway, yeah, yeah. Uh, 
I'm trying to keep genre. There, well, there's a lot of shit as well. New Year's Eve, New Year's Evil. Right. Those are all those are all classics. <laughs> um, uh, Mystery of the Wax Museum, but again, that's peripheral. End of Days, the Schwarzenegger movie. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh, I, we saw that in the movie theater. I don't ask me why. It was it was at a time when every when su- we would go every Friday, and um, whatever that was new out, we would go see. It's how I how I saw Cobra <laughs> on initial release. There was a, a, a my dad was working at a nuclear power plant. <laughs> <laughs> Is your dad Homer Simpson? No, no, no. My dad built the things. Like, he built the things, and then he got out of there. Uh, but he was he was helping to build this nuclear power plant outside of. Uh, St. John's, Arizona, which is the high desert. So it's just like smiles of nothing, right? It's just like, boom. And there was nothing for kids to do. And the town was this Mormon town. So it was like, there was just nothing, you know? And I was bored out of my mind all the time. And there was one theater, and they'd have movies. And I like, you know, that was that became a ritual, right? Go every, every week, the new movie opened, I'd go, whether... It was something you wanted, I wanted to see it or, to see or, not. or yeah. not. Yeah, that's what we were doing. Yeah, and uh, that's where I saw um, the Great Train Robbery with Sean Connery, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which uh, uh, I saw. I think I saw Joe Kid there, which is my sure. least favorite Clint Eastwood western. But still, still, yeah, it's still. Um, and that was a that was a big deal, man. Just to be able to go and go and just see movie after yeah. movie. After Friday movie. Follies in the, my first book. Which mm-hmm. is them characters going on a rooftop drinking and talking. Right. Friday Follies was we would we would get together for lunch, and with my friends we would get together for lunch and then we'd go see a movie every Friday. Yeah. And we, then we, because we worked a tower and you could go see a movie, get out of an afternoon movie, and still be at work at four o'clock. Right. Uh, and we saw all sorts of stuff, like the first Power. Remember? Yeah. <laughs> like I've seen that one. Yeah. Seeing That's seeing that movie. in the movie theater. Seeing Exorcist three the first time. Yeah, you know, seeing you know, and they if you live. saw something good, you go to work all jazzed up and yeah. like, and, and it got to be with us that people knew, and they would come up and go like, "Hey, what'd you see today?" Because they knew that you that was just part right. of your routine. Um, and now, that's the cre- question I I dread. Hey, was you any good movies? Yeah, because you're <laughs> oh, like, no. no. <laughs> Here's a pen. <laughs> you're gonna need this. Um, day watch. The day watch, night watch. I don't remember that being New Year's so, at all. Hopefully. Day watch is there's some great stuff in day watch. I love day watch. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's some not so great stuff. There's a, yeah, it gets what's a that, stuff. What's with that? Can anybody explain to me the weird video game sequence in that? Or it's mm-hmm. like it's like this weird, really bad 3D animation stuff happens in. Daywatch. I doubt that guy's ever going to finish that. No, he's that trilogy, but he's on to other things. He should. But, uh, yeah, yeah. I really like that guy, and and it he he seems to pick projects like someone who who English is a second language. Well, the... uh, but what's there? Even uh, Abraham Lincoln Vampire Runner had some great stuff in it. Well, the, the... it was retarded ridiculous but. right the, the the thing i like about him is like i can just see somebody going you can't have a car driving on the side, up the side of the, of the, 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 the 
Fuck you. Yes, I can. Oh, dude. Wanted is so dumb when you mm-hmm. <laughs> get all around it. Right. But it's so cool. When you watch it, it's cool. Yeah. It's like, look, maybe I can buy the vampire running across the backs of the stampeding horses yeah. in Illinois <laughs> yeah. next to a cliff. But I can't buy Abraham Lincoln doing it until he does it. Yeah. So he makes that movie, and then I could say, oh, yeah, well, sure. of course he is. Um, of yeah, course there's it's, this it's, desert in the middle of Illinois. If, when I imagine how bad Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter could have been. Oh, my God. Yeah. And, and what I see is like, yeah, it's it's silly. You know, it's it's not as silly as something like Zombievers or... or right, whatever. right. But it's silly, but it still kind of works. It's still, I mean, like, the, the, my only beef with it is that the book is really good. It, legitimately good. Mm. The book is good. And I would have liked to have seen somebody Do handle, handle it seriously like the book did. Yeah. yeah. But there was a while there where everyone was really into all that stuff. It's uh, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Has and anybody seen stuff. that? Pride and Prejudice and Zombies? Nope. No. I haven't either. I saw a couple of fight scenes. And yeah, that's what I saw. It's what I saw. What it is is a lot of like Oliver Stone sort of whirling cameras. Right. Which again, and, and a lot of quick cuts and a lot of really tight shots, mm-hmm. which again, my rule is the farther back the camera, the less it moves, the more those people know how to fight. And right. that would have been cool. Yeah. But this was just more... Charlie Angels Foo and right, you know, Charlie Angels Foo. Yeah, you will believe Crispin Glover is a <laughs> acrobat. <laughs> um, we, it, it wouldn't be holiday without musicals. I just have a couple rent. Um, they, they there's a celebration of New Year's. Okay, and Holiday Inn, 1942. Yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, let's see, we're running out of titles, kids. Um, I've got After the Thin Man. Okay. And, uh, uh, I love those movies. After uh, the, Thin the Thin Man, Man movies? Okay, yeah. Yeah, they're very charming. They're very... I would have liked to have seen more Thin Man in something like Mr. and Mrs. Jones. Mm-hmm. I've not Smith. seen any Mr. of the Mrs. Thin Man movies. Oh, really? The first one is very Christmassy. I mean, it's set at Christmas. That's and, the one I remember. Yeah. yeah, and then they get a little blurry after that. There's six of them, so it's you know stands to reason that they get around. I don't know if they got around to all the holidays, but it would, it would, that would stand to reason. Uh, let's see, trading places. I have Little Caesar with uh, Edward G. Robinson. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Again, I don't know how how. Uh, Important it is to the story. To the pl- story, uh, Money Train. That's a great movie. Little Caesar. Yeah, yeah, it's a great scene. Yeah, great movie. Yeah. All those Edward G. Robinson stuff is, and it's, and again, more and more people that I see and talk with that are film fans, I'm noticing that a lot of, I'm, I'm just not hearing names in films. It's like they're slipping away. Yeah. Like, you don't see a lot of people standing around a lo- your local video store where they don't see a video store. But you mm-hmm. don't see them standing around where film people go. And you don't hear a lot of talk about Edward G. Robinson or whatever else. Right. Yeah. I, I just think it depends. Yeah? I mean, I, talk, I just speak to, like, horror folk all day long. and But I assume that there's, there's 
keep. I mean, I have a, I have one horror friend, Mike that that uh, and Psycho Billy Boy. Um, he's also Psycho Billy Boy. He loves silent films and he likes to talk about silent films all the time. Yeah. So I think there has to be some some folks that that love it. I mean, I still think about White Heat. Yeah, I mean there are, but but you know, and and I think it's inevitable. I mean, as time goes on, it. it people's touchstones change well the well, center I have, moves forward i want to call them decadists right. people who just focus on a certain decade sure and, and right. may not be watching the new stuff and like music it's usually the decade where we ourselves are vital like i know a lot of people my age where there are archivists on 70s 80s right late 60s 70s 80s yeah that goes to goes to prove you know goes to uh, goes to show you as Barry Boswick said um, uh, that it's it's that window it's like dude I like classic rock uh huh mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> sure you do um, but it's it's the same way in the past my parents you know their their classic rock was Glenn Miller and Artie Shaw and, right and so consequently they're the center of their film reference base, mm-hmm. you know, is was what it was, and mine's what it was, and I think it progresses forward as people. Well, die. and I also, I also think that it, as you get further away from, as you get further away from something, you mm-hmm. know, as the dis, you know, as time, you're you're not seeing there's just by osmosis, there's not going to be as many references to it. Right. So if you're a young guy. And you're a film student, you know, you, you know, you, who are you paying attention to? Tarantino, Scorsese, these guys. Yeah. And then to, to, to study that other stuff, you, you have to do some work. Yeah. You know, you got to go do did some you, digging. Did you guys see the uh, Scorsese just, there was an interview with him? I was just going to talk about that. Yeah. yeah. And he talked yeah. about how film, film today is. Cinema is dead. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's all, it's all Marvel and bombast and shit blowing up. And, yeah. And, you, you know, know which. I mean, to be fair, people have been saying for decades. Yeah. You know. Yes. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, people said that about. Oh yeah. Every Jaws old person, and, you know, it's like, oh, they don't make them. I, there's nothing at the movie theater that I want to see. It's right. Like, I bet there is. You're just not getting exposed to it. I remember how sour Ray Harryhausen was when the antihero became like a big box office draw. Mm-hmm. You know, in the late '60s, that 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 really bugged him. For one thing, it made him difficult to make movies because mm-hmm. his stories and movies were all based around the hero, you yeah, know. Yeah. And and he didn't get that, you know, why people would want to go watch somebody who is on drugs. And you know, here's a guy from another generation who re- retained that childlike wonder about dinosaurs and shit. And so he didn't. He had a hard time dealing with that, and in particular because Valley of Guanji was it came out in 1969 and it just wasn't that kind of film wasn't marketable at the time easy writer and stuff like that was and so the studio just dumped it they didn't sure they didn't promote it at all and so he was kind of he was That's sour about movie. that That's kind of stuff valley of guanji is cool man Super cool um you know it, it occurs to me does anyone know of like there's the classic model for the hero's journey sure. right but is there also a model for the anti-hero's journey? I don't know. I know, right? Do you know what that... Noir? What? Probably, probably the answer would probably be in noir somewhere. Yeah, yeah. 
I just don't. You I mean you always hear about that? Well, it's the hero's journey. Well, there's probably there's probably. Well, an anti-hero is spending their whole time confronting things that they agree with, so they don't really have an arc. I consider myself more of an anti-hero because I'm constantly faced with sort of like the meaningless of existence, the painfulness of existence, the inability to see the pure dark and the inability to see the pure light. That's yeah. that's interesting. I see myself as an anti-villain. <laughs> well, I think that, that be, the anti-hero is able to be truer. They they don't they don't it's not wrapped up in things like heroism right. and stuff like that. And the heroic things that they end up doing are sort of in the pursuit of other things. It's collateral uh, damage. The good deed is collateral right. damage. I would imagine that... It's chaotic good or chaotic neutral, which I am. Yeah. I would imagine that there's probably somewhere in those, what is it, seven stories or mm-hmm. whatever it is, that there's probably a redemption story mm. that would fit a lot of anti-heroes. Yeah, because ultimately that's what happens, right? right. The, the The... But then again, you've got these other... You've got the... you got truth, the guys that but, don't... But you are, yeah, but you've got, the, you've got people like... Uh, the one that comes to mind is Conan. Conan is the one that, a guy who gets dropped into a situation, and he's very much... Shit's happened, but he's very much the same guy at the end. Right. Um, you know what it might be? You put an anti-hero on a mission. Yeah. So it might be a quest film. Or a, yeah, yeah a quest it's like Mad Max. It's like he's, he, he's, everybody's on a mission to do everything he can in his power to accomplish something. And rather than a hero who's going to do the best good, this guy's going to do anything he needs to to get it done. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Which is why it works in a war, because a lot of those are solving cases, dealing with the mafia, right. or the syndicate. I rewatched a movie last night that I think fits the redemption um, aspect of, a, of an anti-hero, and that is uh, Kung Fu Hustle. <laughs> Did not see that coming. Okay, the, the Stephen Chow movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where he's yeah. a dick. He's a dick through the whole movie, right? Yeah, it, yeah. And and you know he. It's one of those things. That while he is in pursuit of his dicky goals, right. good things happen. Right. And then you know something happens. A bigger thing happens. It's and he realizes him, and I've been a dick. Yeah. And I need to. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Sure. Um, we're gonna get to. Oh yeah, yeah! All of those Stephen Chow movies yeah, are great. Are great, yeah. Um, they they run a little long, but well, they're Asian, so they te- yeah. Asian films tend to run a little yeah. long. Um, we're gonna wrap this up. Um, <laughs> I'm just running out of titles. Boogie Nights, sure. Looking for Mister Goodbar. I forgot that there was a that was a big scene in that. Though. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Boogie Nights is because one of the things happens at a New Year's. Yeah, party. I. You know, I'll, I'll say this. Isn't that the scene where William H. Macy offs himself? Wasn't that New I Year's? I don't remember. I, you know, I am not one of those people that holds Boogie Nights in as high a regard as, as... I do like that movie. Yeah. I don't, I'm not a big fan of that director. I, I like that I've only seen a handful of New Year's movies. Movies yeah. that want to have New Year's in their sort of narrative mm-hmm. not attractive there's to gotta be some reason. some party movies right some like teen drunken movies that are based around you would think so you would think but but most anytime i want to party i put on the halloween movie what, what <laughs> midnight hour goes right so you on. know if you're ever at heather's house and she puts on a halloween movie it's time to party it's time to party um a lot of the ones that i've been avoiding 
our romantic comedies oh, tend yeah, to yeah, be yeah. around there a sure. lot. I've got an affair to remember. I've got the apartment. Um, Bridget Jones's Bridget Jones's Diary, Sex in the City, Sleepless in Seattle, Someone Like You, The Irony of Fate One and Two. Sleepless in Seattle is, is kind of a it's, it's kind of like the Poseidon Adventure. It's for a lot of people that's the, the yeah. New Year's movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say I'll say this: out of all of those movies, um, Sleepless, Sleepless in Seattle isn't terrible. It's it's really schmaltzy, but it's not terrible. Sure. But the one to see out of all of those is The Apartment. Wouldn't you want to watch an apocalyptic movie on New Year's (laughs) Eve? (laughs) As we're facing down the nuke. It just makes sense. Contagion. um, um, A Last Babylon. or (laughs) Sure. Sure. But that's all that. Uh, When Harry Met Sally also comes up. Um, The Time Machine. So, I mean, it's... That's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah, it is. Time Machine. Something I've watched growing up as uh, as a young girl. There's lots of New Year's in that movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe that's the New Year's movie that you need. Yeah. Well, you want to celebrate it across different time zones. That's right. You just sure. Um, Everybody, it's like that's the party game. You run into the closet, you come out dressed in a different era, and then you know you've got a timer. You know, it's like <laughs> when it goes off, everybody's got to go. So I just wonder. I mean, we've we've established that it's. It's a great metaphor for change and rebirth and all this other stuff. I just but... also for hope. I mean, if I was going to write something around New Year's with my my sort of mentality, the idea of a new beginnings and to play off that either towards the expectations or the opposite. Yeah, yeah, or or yeah, or set something that you know, um, like melancholia set at uh, uh, New Year's would New be Year's. great. Yeah, the idea of like. Here's this new new beginning, but oh, nah, sorry. <laughs> the end of all things. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's kind of like where we are now, right? Where we are now. Yeah, I can't even say it. Nope. Yeah, so we nope, won't. Nope, nope. Um, but I think it's I think it's uh, I think it's ripe. There's I mean that's fertile ground. Yeah. I just it, it, I wonder you know why. Yeah. It seems it, well. It seems like what's odd to me is that you know we have we have the Christmas film, yeah, right. Where Christmas is like definitely a part of the thing. We have the Halloween film, right? Mm-hmm. We have Easter films, exactly. It's it's odd to me that there isn't more movies where New Year. The fact that it's New Year's isn't more a part of the story or more part of. The sub, you know, instead of like, oh, just it, this happens to be happening at New Year's. Well, they have the gift that's been playing all all around um, from Forrest Gump. Huh? Is there a New Year's sequence in Forrest Gump? Um, I don't know. I don't. It's not on my list. Yes. What, I'm sure. What, what it, is... it, it, oh, it's just. Um, it just reminds me of what would be a good New Year's story. It has uh, Gary Sinise. With his long oh, right. hair, looking depressing, right. where everyone's partying, and the confetti keeps falling on his head. Yeah, in great misery. He was in. He was. In, to... He was in a. They were in a bar together, and he was in his right. wheelchair, and he didn't want to go out, and they made him, and blah blah blah. Yeah. Blah. yeah I think that's the beginning of what would be a great New Year's Eve movie. Yeah, kind of like a leaving Las Vegas that happened on uh, New Year's. Yeah, absolutely. But can we just say about Forrest Gump that what a 
Same way Rosemary Clooney. Jenny, what a bitch. Yeah. What a bitch. Yeah, I, I was not a fan of Jenny. Yeah. yeah. And then it's like, oh, now, now you're here. Yeah. And, now that you're dying and have been saddled with this. Yeah, it's amazing, though. That movie, every time, if, I, I, I don't sit down to watch it a lot, but like the times that I, I have, you know what's coming. Yeah. And then you're crying anyway. Yeah. Well, and... Was, I, I'm a fan of that film because I, I am moved by sort of some Americana cinema like that. Sure. Robert Zemeckis, that's a guy who kind of took a wrong turn somewhere. He got into that whole CG thing, and and then he made that movie, The, the Walk, which yeah. I guess people were, were walking out of in droves because it was so, like, in, in um, IMAX, it was way too real, and people were getting all vertigo, and they're like, we're out of here. I couldn't, I watched the trailer, and my hands started yeah. sweating. That's the... the, the walk across the Twin Towers. Right. You know, I think that Zemeckis is a, an example of a guy who got who got too enamored with the toys. Mm. You know, like he fell in love with like this this particular technology or the you know like like you like you're saying with the IMAX thing it's like, you know, it's like Yeah. Um having said that though, he's made some great films. Yeah. And and some of the stuff that we're talking about, Beowulf is great. Beowulf is cool, man. Um, and Crispin Glover, not who you would think of to play Grendel, uh-huh. he does a great job. Yeah, that's that's a weird take on Grendel. Yeah, he was really good in um, the Willard remake. Yeah, you know, which and that one, of course. Yeah, it's it seemed that seemed it. That was one of those things when you heard about it, you were like, "Well, why, of course, like why wouldn't this get made?" Yeah, you know. Um. I'm really running out. There's a bunch of comedy dramas here that, to be honest, none of them really ring a bell here. Mermaids, which I guess is the Christina Ricci share thing about very, a boy. It's a very sad movie. Mermaids is a really, really sad movie. Um, 200 Cigarettes. Oh, more, yeah. More American Graffiti. New Year's Day. Yeah, I don't know. 200, 200 Cigarettes. cigarettes. Yeah, that is nice. That is good. And and there, wasn't there also, um, wasn't there like the last night on Earth or something like that? And it was kind of one of those movies where it's like you're following people around New Year's Eve, or am I mixing that up with Two Hundred Cigarettes? Maybe. I think Roberto Benigni is like a. a, a oh, I know last night on Earth. Yeah, I do. Yes. And, and am I am I getting it right? It's like, it had it had it had Manini in it. Okay, mm-hmm. that the name of the film is Jarmish, correct? I could be wrong. I think so. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, two hundred Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, people out there screaming at us, you know, know those you... are their favorite films, and they're like, well, "You guys think you know film? You don't know shit." Uh, it goes without saying that it was. It's used... called Night on Earth. In 1990, that's it. When everything go. was when it's sort of like this great. In, that's why I know like the, the four rooms. Like it all came out in the 90s when they when there was these indie interesting movies that could be made and there was there was money for that. But I had to know the writer and yeah 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 friends and movies I didn't see because like the, out of the corner of the eye, it's like I rent those or they were on HBO. But then I was like enamored with watching Night Configuration or something at that yeah, age. Right, right. But I bet you saw Foxes. Yes. <laughs> Heck yeah. yeah! That Foxes was swell. 
Young, young Tom liked boxing. Um, it goes without saying that there was a bunch of a bunch of uh, TV shows that used it. There's they're dumb and they're they're too numerous to me. <laughs> so it sounds like my takeaway on this is that there there's it's wide open. There's just not enough of them. There needs to be more New Year's, in particular, genre films. Yeah, yeah. I mean, geez. You you could get drunk and come up with half a dozen. You know what I mean? Like sit mm-hmm. around with your friends and just. Sh- That's how cinema happens. Yeah, but the idea. That's okay, how Kevin I'll, Smith makes movies. We're, we're going to get to that <laughs> in a second. Um, um, but you can come up with an idea. Like, I'm just fucking around. You can come up with an idea that that at least works. Yeah. Um, so I have to consider. Well, you got got to beat New Year's Evil. Two hundred cigarettes. <laughs> Yeah. Not a lot of competition out there. Yeah, I mean, it depends. I mean, there's so many different ways. You can go super bleak with someone alone on a new year. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You can go, no, 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 man. There's plenty there. So, God damn it. People need to start doing that. Um, Somebody needs to make... I'm sure Hallmark has done a version of, like, <laughs> Dan Fogelberg's uh, Another All Lang Syne. There's yeah. a song, yeah. yeah. But isn't uh, the true genre film to, to be the Strange Days? For New yeah, Year's Eve movie, I, I mean, not in its glory, not in its glory and, and wonderfulness, because I, I think it's you know, well, think, th- that's what it's there to do. Yeah, I think I would throw pure genre. You know, you gotta Terror Train maybe. Um, Strange Days is up there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, God, it's so hard. That's tough. I think we should just go with New Year's New Year's Evil. Let's go with that. That one. Yeah, that New Year's Evil. Because he even has that that great VHS cover with the with the the, the skull and the little hat. Party I don't remember that. What's isn't that the one where the <laughs> one of the graphics was a guy a guy's leering face with a knife coming through January? Oh yes, oh yeah. <laughs> That's like, the one. New Year's Evil. Man, all right. Uh, just a couple things about in news, and then we'll 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 talk a little bit about some things we've been watching because there's a couple things I want to talk about. Number one, I know you want to know, but they they announced Expendables four. Um, I hear it's going straight to vi- video, and it's only going to video in Europe. <laughs> so that's funny. Um, They'll have like Jean Claude Van Damme's second cousin, yeah, Ernie. Ernie Van Damme. Dude, I posted on my feed some weird drunken picture of, or a video of Jean-Claude Van Damme dancing Dancing in front of his Skype, and it's... Um, I saw some footage from this new Avatar Land that they're doing in Orlando. Yeah. And it looks fucking cool. Yeah. Um, If you ever are on YouTube, take a look around at, like, Shanghai Disneyland, Mm -hmm. like the Pirates of the Caribbean right there. It's all these multiple media stuff, this mixture of, like, projection stuff. I I was, when we went to the, uh, normally I I hate that kind of stuff, Mm -hmm. right, the the theme park stuff, and and with with a few exceptions. We went to that Harry Potter thing at uh, Universal Studios. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah, it's really it talk, is talk about immersive, right? Yeah, and it and it is. It's like you're experiencing screen time that seems real through your 3D glasses and uh-huh. you know wind hitting you and all this shit. But then 
you're, you know, you're turning, and then there's like this fucking, you know, twenty foot dragon's head six inches from your face yeah. that's real, and it's like the footage I saw I saw from parts of the Caribbean in Shanghai is unbelievable, yeah. and it and they repeat it every forty five seconds, uh, um. But this Avatar Land, it's really cool. There's all this bioluminescence going on. That'd be and, cool. And uh, you're kind of going through, and you supposedly you tame one of the flying things, and you get on this thing, and you ride it. And man, it was cool looking. Um, I so, want, you know, I want, I want a a a dirty slash romantic getaway in a room that has yeah. filled with like Avatar, Avatar, yeah, yeah all like, lights and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I want to get down on a bed that glows every time that you bump it. <laughs> I love things that glow in the dark. Right? Wow. I have them all over my bedroom. <laughs> I've grown incredibly uncomfortable with this. No, I'm not. not really. Uh, and then finally, I don't know if we talked about this, but the guy, Denis Villeneuve, who did The Arrival, right, is supposedly doing Dune. Yeah. And uh, I'm kind of... The more I think about it, the more I, I'm kind of okay with it because I don't know. We I, I want to say I, it feels like we've talked about this. We well, we've talked about Dune several times and the different iterations of Dune and in through different subjects on the show, David Lynch, etc. Mm. Um, That's probably what it was. And uh, um, you're a huge fan of the books. I never read the books. Yeah. I just want to know, do you think anybody can nail just the first book in one film? I think I think that if you... The problem is is that everyone's going for the big cash grab. Mm-hmm. The only people that didn't was sci-fi. I think you could get away with it in a, in, a, in a way like you were getting away with Game of Thrones and Westworld. Right. I think you can totally, if you have a few nights at, to, to spend, mm-hmm. and as long as you don't fall into the thing like The Walking Dead is where it's like, oh, we gotta get to the next thing. We gotta get to the next right, thing. It's right, like, right. just take your time and just go slow. Mm-hmm. Something like that would be would work. I would watch that because the world's so deep. It's, right. There's so much there that you can... Little side tributaries, story-wise, that you can... You know, one whole week could be just a Fremen kid. What's life like for a mm-hmm. Fremen? You know, and that's, that's interesting. All of that stuff is. Right. So I think it's possible. Um, but everyone... You know, everyone wants the big money, and they want the big... And the audiences today have a shortened attention span. Sure. Especially on TV, you know. I'm hearing a lot of the new shows that aren't succeeding or aren't succeeding because they're being thought of as slow. Yeah. Like, just get to, we don't show us this, show us that. It's like that jump cutting again. They want everything to be fast. Right, They want it all to be a Marvel movie. Sure. Um, As far as uh, what we've been watching, have you guys seen anything good? That you want to talk about, Heather? You know, you? I, it seems like I've been watching stuff, but I think it's all stuff that we've talked about in the last week or two. I, I mean... Uh... I watched a bunch of stuff because I had to write my top five list. Yeah, I saw for that. Diabolique. So I was there digging through anything. Because people go like, Heather, you work in the film industry. Do you have time to watch movies? It's like, I have time to watch movies at Film Fest, and that's like mo- watching movies in the future. Mm. If I'm watching it that year, it does not mean that it comes out that year and it cannot be right. included on the list. And it may not come out at all. Right. Uh, correct. Correct. It may it may wind up being one of those movies that everybody talked about. 
because they saw it during the festival mm-hmm. run and then well that and it's always different because at festivals people get jazzed for stuff right and then six months later and then 10 years down the road that filmmaker has done something that's successful yeah. then that movie gets released yeah, yeah, yeah. i watched the wailing train to basan neon demon trash fire and little sister sweet let's go through that's those what i watched Wait a minute. Within, like, what was that last title Little Sister. Okay. I heard something else. Zach Carter. Um, directed it. Well, let, so let's go through those. The first one you said was The Wailing. Everyone's telling me that I, I would like it. They It's daunting because it's two and a half hours. Yeah. It's very... I put it on my list as number 10 because I think it's very beautifully shot. I appreciate the folklore. A lot of times I have no idea what's going on in that film. <laughs> okay. And uh, and and I'm not used to. I like Korean genre when it's being very ostentatious with its violence. Mm-hmm. They're like the revenge films, but the the crying children, the emoting, and I understand the cultural based on all the comments left on on under the page. It's difficult. The same with Train to Busan. Train to Busan. A lot of people love that, but I it's just people zombies running after people and in a in a way i thought it was sort of like a monkey's paw tale because um in the movie she goes dad why are you so selfish and it's almost a play on that hmm. a play on who's selfish and who's looking out for each other hmm. it's i i liked uh train to busan even though i don't like I'm I'm so sick of zombie films. I don't. I, think... I don't. Every time I get I get sick of zombie films for a couple days, and then I I like to watch them. I like to look at zombies. Right. They're they're sort of they run, but they're not super fast like the Dawn remake. I just I just keep, you know, I'll go and I'll check something out just in the hopes that there's something different. Yeah. And there, and, the only... and even this movie, even though it was really well made, and it is, it's kind of heart wrenching in a couple of scenes. It's still just a zombie movie. I haven't seen it, but I've seen the trailer, and it strikes me as just a zombie film. Mm-hmm. And I agree. For this, for, for zombies to go forward, someone has to do something different. Something that's beyond, oh shit, they're coming. Because there's plenty there. Mm-hmm. Well, I did not see The Girl with the Gifts. Oh, right. That's yeah, I forgot about that. That's very, very interesting and a new, a new take on it. But The Wailing is, be- is beautiful. It's consistently beautiful to look at that village over and over. And, I, and that's kind of what carries you through two and a half hours is how the film looks. Okay. I'll check it out. So many people, like I say, have said. Um, did you like Neon Demon? I love Neon Demon. Okay. I love Neon Demon. Refn for me is uh, sometimes like hit or miss, but I've, I'm very intrigued with his choices. Because I just don't think, like, um, like Only God Forgives, it's a beautiful film to look at. I'm very inspired by the things for, uh, that are in it artistically. The soundtrack, the way things are shot, the color, the the, the poster. But a lot of times the narrative isn't there for me. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the Neon Demon is like a fairy tale folklore or fable. And so, though I feel that it could have had a little bit more weight in its storyline... So it could be more because it's very singular in what the film's about, mm-hmm. and you really and it doesn't deviate from that. 
It's very rare. It's tale to tell, but it's beautifully done. I like to look at beauty. It's a strange thing to say, but if you make it gorgeous, sure, I love to see it. And I can't stop listening to the soundtrack. And I also know there's a movie that you that I mentioned that would be a good movie for you that I actually rewatched while watching all these other films, which is a film about beauty. Um, I'm the pretty thing that lives in the house. Yeah, I've seen that. Mm-hmm. I recommended it. Yeah. And you said you liked it. And I that's something like else. It's a film. It's like it's it's what it's hypnotic to watch because of its beauty, because of its sound design and how it's put together. Mm hmm. Yes. But it's not the most complex thing on Earth. Yeah. And it's and it's, it's singular slow. in what it's trying to do. Yeah. Like a painting. But this, yeah, that's the hard part. I think I think ghost stories have to be slow. Because it's the only way it works. Yeah, but oh, it, I didn't say slow. I meant that it's just the it's just it's simple. It, it's simple. It's not right. No, com- I'm saying I'm saying it's not broad. I no. like the slow and the slowness of it, but you have to give someone to look at. You have to give them at least really engaging characters, mm-hmm. or something that's very beautiful, or a sense of dread. A whole it's because it's slow, but there's a sense of dread throughout it. Right. And right, February right. or Blackmore's Daughter is the same way, which is Osgood Perkins' other film. I like slow films generally because I like, I, in, in particular, when you have people who, who compose really, really beautiful shots and mm-hmm. they give you time to kind of bask in that and kind of go. But, like, I, but I wonder but, if but, people are calling those movies slow because that does, to me, that's not, te- what's tedious is you give me nothing to look at, nothing to obsess at, nothing to fall in love, characters that I'm not interested in. I just. Going back to a title that you had mentioned, Only God Forgives. That's the only movie that I can think of in recent history where I just was like, please let something else happen. <laughs> please. Like, that movie was so slow that it made, like, Kubrick shots from 2001 look like it's a mad, 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 mad world. I thought it was very intriguing when the story was going, but these paused areas of, of filmmaking when you sort of pauses and nothing happens. Yeah. It was, it was, it was disruptive in a way that I was not a fan of. Cause mm. I felt like have a narrative, but then you're adding these strange pauses. Is there a reason you're not letting your narrative move forward? I feel Tarantino does that sometimes. He's a little shy to let the story just play out. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And so there's a little, well, so, you know, little and, sleight of hand there. And a lot of this, and, and people I, I, people are probably going to get upset because I, it, it sounds like I'm dissing this stuff. I'm not at all. I, I love stuff like that. I think that there's a sweet spot. You know, like if you if you want to hold a shot, either because it's making a point or because what you're showing is really beautiful or a, a really good shot, I think that there's a there's a there's a a moment you know um oh gosh i can't remember the editor's name right now uh wonderful book on editing called um um in the blink of an eye and uh merch right anyway um and his theory is you you do your cuts in your movie based on when you blink Hmm. When you're, that's interesting. Because when you're when you're looking at something, when your eye is kind of done with that, we tend to blink. 
Yeah. And you t we tend to blink like whenever we turn our head, we tend to tend to blink during different points in dialogue and things. And if you pay attention uh, to that, that almost always is a really good time to make your cut. Mm -hmm. And unless you're making a point where you're just holding it for either to be excruciating mm -hmm. or to really illustrate something that you wouldn't normally see because you don't watch that yeah. long. Or you're setting them up for something. Right. Like, especially in, like, uh, like Pretty Thing, like Ghost Stories, yeah, yeah. where I think those static shots of nothing are more important than when the drawer opens. Sure. Because it's... It's building all. It's around. building all that, right? I, I think that um, the sound becomes so important, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, uh, you talk about we talk about slow films with great scores and great sound. Mm -hmm. There's a there's a Japanese film called Tony Takatani mm -hmm. that uh, is great, um, but whew, whew, it's slow. It's about a guy who hires a woman as an assistant after his wife dies, mm -hmm. and she finds a room that has just all of the wife's, the dead wife's clothes. And so he starts saying to her like, Oh, you can wear some of that. And so she starts wearing right. it. And, and it's, it's really good. Ryuichi Sakamoto does the soundtrack for it. And it's just solo piano. And it's really, really good. Um, for me, uh, I finished the 366, which is fine, but I said something about it on Facebook and, and some folks are saying, people are like, keep we going. like your reviews. Yeah, so keep keep going. going. So I'm going to keep doing it. Um, some of the things I've seen recently were Pirate Radio, which has one of the greatest scores ever, hmm. soundtracks ever. It's a, totally a soundtrack movie. It talks about pirate radio in um, the 60s off the coast of, of Britain and the, the birth of sort of pirate radio. And it's sure. very, very cool. Uh, Man from Hong Kong with Jimmy Wang Yu. Man, I love that movie. It's great. It's very great. Um, <laughs> George Lazenby. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Sugar Hill, which is like a zombie movie. Another I love yeah. that movie. I was really Sugar I, Hill is wonderful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I really love the ping pong ball eye, eyeballs. Eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that was really fun. And uh, it was good because I'd seen it before, but I, uh, uh, I wanted to watch it again. And it was just, it was just odd enough and oblique enough that it was a like, kind of like oh, yeah, yeah yeah this is cool um speaking of dawn of the dead i i watched legends of the guardians the owls of gahul right and it's really dumb it's a dumb movie, it is but it's beautiful mm -hmm. it's it's if you just sort of you know put your brain on hold or get good and high or whatever and just let it all flow by you um which is oddly what I did. Uh, um, thoroughly enjoyable and very, and very the, fun. And the Dawn of the Dead reference is because it's directed Zack by Zack Snyder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the one that we watched last night, um, don't ask me why, but on um, uh, the, day or, or the day after New Year's or whatever, or New Year's Day, we watched this Tales of Halloween. Right. Which I said we'd get back to later. And what I meant by that is, is this is a anthology film it's 90 minutes long they try to tell 10 stories in the span of 90 minutes and the entire film sort of feels like there's a group of friends in la and they had access to some money mm. and a lot of spare time on the weekends because it's literally as you're watching this thing it's like the doorbell rings and you open the door and most people if this would go right by but as the door opens it's there's Rebecca McKendry from who's a Fangoria uh, mm -hmm. uh, 
Blumhouse. Bloom, and she's worth Blumhouse now. And it's her little daughter that's there too. And then Mike Mendez walks by, and then you know it's just this weird mixture of of. I mean, it really wants to be something like Trick or Treat or something that's that's like one of the Halloween movies that everyone will go to, right? But there's just way too much going on, and things happen so rushed. We were talking about it. How if you have ninety minutes and you have ten movies or ten stories, you can only devote nine minutes to every story, right? And then there's filler of Adrian Adrian Barbeau basically doing her role in the fog. Right. Um, I didn't like didn't like the movie. I liked some of the um, practical effects, but hot on the heels of a really cool practical effect comes a really bad one. Mm. So that's why I say it feels like it was um, done. You know, over a span of a couple of weekends. Do you feel like that maybe it was done by too many people, too? Well, there's there's ten stories, but there's twelve directors. Oh, wow, yeah. See, that's just... And so everyone has their own little thing. And this, and the, I don't have the list of them with me, but they're, but they're not slouches. Mm-hmm. Lucky McGee's in there. Um, uh... Would you see it as a movie that you would play... While you're watching, uh, while you're at like a Halloween party, absolutely. There's enough imagery there that it kind of and that works. Must, that must be what it's about. I mean, because that's kind of how you watch the ABCs of death movies. Mm. They're like fun things to put on, and you pick out the imagery that inspires you. Yeah, well, there's there's plenty of it. It's just that if you're paying attention to it, like things things happen for absolutely no reason the one thing they do make an attempt at which two things that i kind of appreciated in this was number one throughout the film the tvs are on Mm -hmm. and you're seeing a progression through both night of the living dead and carnival of souls Mm. so it sort of delineates the passage of time sure and they are really kind of meticulous about the idea that the first story they'll they're walking along and they pass some kid in a red hoodie and then six stories down oh it's about the kid in the red hoodie uh-huh. and so there's a lot of that sort of cross pollinization but um much like something another film i talked about christmas horror story right it just feels rushed and it feels sort of opportunistic and and not particularly inspired uh, I have to say that one of the two great anthologies of last year, which I um, would be uh, Southbound and Holidays. Yeah. If yeah, you're looking yeah. for some anthologies or you haven't seen them already. I, you know, I love the anthology film just because just much as much as I like, let's say, the short story mm-hmm. format, because it's it's really good that you can try something that just wouldn't support a bigger, bigger take on right. it. Right. Too, too often people take that idea that would work for a short film and try to stretch it into a two hour. Movie. Yeah. Or yeah. And then as a writer, it's the person that has, that has a solid novella and is convinced that he can let the scenes out and make it a, a novel. Right. It's like, no, some things are just fun. Some and, things, you know, some stories just occupy a certain amount of space. Yeah. Yeah. And you have, you know, and, and hopefully the writer n- understands that and, and going in goes, you know, like we talked about that a few episodes ago, the uh, Island of Misfits toys. Thing. Right, right, right. That doesn't isn't would never support a novel, but it certainly would support a short story. Sure, go into that knowing that, and we're all going to. If you listen to that the other the other day, I think we're done, boys and girls. Yep, I think now is the moment when the listeners are starting to 
to, to blink. They're ready for that cut. And we're going to give it to them. Uh, next episode, 105, we'll do next week. Well, our cut will definitely be the razor across the eye, correct? That's right. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, and now that'll, that'll be episode 105, and we still don't know what we're doing yet. I know we've, we're talking to a bunch of people as far as getting them on as guests. Um, it's basically who who who... Who agrees first? Who grabs our baton first, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I know. Like, I have a call out to Hart Fisher and a couple of other guys. And um, Heather let us know. We won't talk about it, but we, Heather let us know about something that may come to fruition that is going to be super fun. That would be great. Yeah, that would be great. Um, we got a yes from her. Oh, That's excellent. excellent. Can, we, can we announce it? Well, um, you can. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, Lisa, who puts together the uh, Sex Positive uh, Film Fest in New York City, Sin Kink, which is very unique for what it is. Um, she's going to come on this month and talk about pornography from a critical sort of way, which is nice because she said she's getting the submissions and now from Sin Kink, which again, she must sit there and judge uh, who's naughty and nice. Yeah. Well, I think it's the, yeah, I agree. It's the idea, the, the genesis of this was us talking about the porn film as capital F film. Right. Um, not just something masturbate to, right, but right, something right. like you can walk away with. And I think it'll be really interesting. And, and um, I'm looking forward to that one. So, anyway, look forward to it. All right. So, I guess that's it. For the Bonus Material Podcast, I'm Tom Carnell. I'm Heather Buckley. And I'm Langley West. Stay scary. <laughs> <laughs>